Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Lagore, and welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Um, let me get my face out of the way up in the corner here. There we go. Uh, if you've never joined us before, the What's Up webcast takes place every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube uh, channel. We cover everything there is about astronomy to what's up into the nighttime sky to helpful tips and tricks um, for your observing and imaging outings. And then of course, at the end of each month, we have a special guest on to talk about whatever. So if you've joined us before, happy Friday. Thanks for joining us again. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate it. I'll uh, keep you up to date with any future uh, events and content that we have um, coming out. So um, this week, of course, it's it's May. I'm not sure where things have gone, but it has it's already May. So um, and it is the first of May. So with that being said, we're going to be talking about what's up in the nighttime sky for the month of May. And there's a bunch of cool things up. I'm sure if you've been observing uh, lately or imaging, you you kind of know what's up. But we're going to take a look at what we can see for the month of May. Now, real quick, uh, just to jump in, uh, if you want some cool swag for to match your Skywatcher gear, um, we do have the skywatcher.threadless.com website. You can get shirts and hoodies and all kinds of fun stuff in there. I know we are working on some new artwork. Um, but you can get all kinds of fun stuff there at the skywatcher.threadless.com uh, website there. So just some cool swag to go with your Skywatcher gear. So without further ado, uh, we're going to get started. Let me get myself fixed up here. Perfect. So it's May. And as we do with every webcast uh, for What's Up in the Nighttime Sky, we're going to be talking about the brightest thing in the nighttime sky to start with. And of course, that's the moon. And um, this month, uh, new moon is May 11th, so middle of next week. Uh, but that kind of works out if you're trying to get out and do some dark sky viewing. Um, it kind of gives you two different weekends to choose from. Uh, because this weekend is technically the darkest weekend of the month, uh, the 8th and the 9th. So if you're going out this weekend, uh, I'm sure you already have your outing figured out if you're already going out. Um, but you can also get out next weekend on the 15th and 16th. Um, there's going to be a small crescent moon. I'm going to bring up Stellarium here. Uh, Stellarium is a free program you can download online if you're looking for something to kind of figure out how the sky's looking um so this is about uh there we go eight o'clock uh next weekend on the 16th uh there is a thin crescent moon it's going to be hanging up in gemini um but that's going to be out of the sky by you know 10 o'clock yeah let's go yeah right about 10 11 o'clock it should be setting um, so if you're planning an outing, and particularly if you're planning an outing to catch the Milky Way uh, to do some nightscape work, um, this weekend or next weekend would work because next weekend 
the moon will be out of the sky by the time the Milky Way is becoming high enough in the evening sky rising in the east. So you have two dark weekends that you can actually get out and do some nice viewing um, this month. So kind of a we lucked out on that. So uh, now the full moon, of course, is at the end of the month. We have uh, the full moon on May 26th. Uh, I'm, yes, May 26th. I'm sorry. Um, but that's when we can expect to have our evening skies lit up with that big bright moon. Now, speaking of the full moon, uh, the full moon, like I said, this month is on May 26th. It is known as the flower moon. That is the name of the moon for the month. It gets its name from all the wildflowers that are really abundant this time of year. It's spring. I'm, I'm sure you're well aware of why there's flowers everywhere. It's just that time of year. Uh, particularly up here in the northern hemisphere and it also is a super moon so it um last month in april we had the first super moon and may we have the last super moon now there's a lot of people that make a big deal on um social media and stuff like that a lot of news outlets like to make a big deal about the super moon it's roughly seven percent bigger and about 15 percent brighter um and it's the last super moon of 2021 now for the majority of us it's not that exciting but hey it gets astronomy out into the public eye and encourages people to go out and do some viewing so you know what the heck so let them have their fun with it but speaking of the moon um this full moon for the month of may is actually a little bit more exciting uh, because we actually have a lunar eclipse. Um, I'm sure some of you are familiar with what this is. It's when the moon goes into the shadow of the Earth. And we get to see a cool, you know, red, rusty moon. So uh, we have our first lunar eclipse uh, visible um, quite some time, actually. I forgot when the last one was, but it's been a little bit. Um First total lunar eclipse of 2021. I'd have to check if there's actually even another one that's going to be this year or not. Uh, we can check here in a minute. Um, but of course, this, like I said, this takes place on May 26th during the full moon. We're going to do a whole episode uh, later this month, the third Friday of this month. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to get ready to image the, the, the lunar eclipse. So if you're looking for that, um, been out for that episode. Um, in East Asia, um, you're going to be able to see the moon uh, lunar eclipse during moon rise. Um, in Australia, um, if you're on the west side of Australia, uh, you'll get it during full moon or moonrise. Um, but as you move east, um, so most of most of Australia would be able to see the full full uh eclipse uh if you're in the pacific like hawaii um which sounds awesome right now uh you'll be able to see the entire uh lunar eclipse and then of course in the americas we're going to catch it where we're um, at moon set so and then depending where you are is going to depend on how much you're going to get to see of course it's a lunar eclipse it's a full moon uh you're going to see this naked eye uh, or with a telescope uh, if you want to photograph it obviously you're going to want to use like a telephoto lens probably something around 400 millimeters or longer to give you the image scale 
Um, of course, you want a tracker, especially when we get to totality. But I don't want to go into too much detail about that because we're going to do an entire episode in a couple weeks about how to photograph and get ready for the lunar eclipse on May 26th. Uh, if you want to know more, though, about that particular eclipse, um, you can go to NASA's got a good site. Um, I'll just bring it up right here. Um, eclipse.gsfc.nasa.gov. Um, just Google NASA eclipse and it'll take you to the eclipse pages and it'll give you a big list of all the eclipses that are up and coming, including lunar and solar. But they give you this really nice layout of how this is going to look so you have p1 u1 all the you know u2 u3 u4 and p4 um those are all the different points at which the eclipse uh takes place uh so you have the penumbra umbra then you have the deep umbra and then moving into the penumbra again so um, that's going to be important because as you move down uh, you can actually see where the eclipse is going to be visible and how it's going to be visible and at what stage it will be visible in your area. So if you're on the East Coast, you're you're probably not going to get a whole heck of a lot um, for the eclipse there. It's, it's going to be in the uh, penumbra, maybe the umbra stage, so just entering the shadow there. Um, you know, if you're up in Maine and you know, New York and some of those regions, you're you're not going to really see much of a change uh, to the moon there. Um, as you move more inward, um, you'll probably start to catch, you know, some of it when it's entering the umbra stage. So you'll get the darkening as the moon sets. Um, it's not actually until you get to about Texas um, and the east portion, or, or sorry, the western portion of Canada. Uh, that you're going to be able to see uh, when it's in the deep umbra stage where it's, you know, nice and red and has that dark tone to it. And, you know, unless you're in um, California and a little bit of the other portions of the West Coast, um, you're not going to get, you'll still get some of that red uh, tone. I'm going to try doing a, for my, Focus Astronomy, which was my outreach program. Uh, we're going to try and do a live stream of it through the telescope. I need to kind of plan that out. But as we get closer, I can give you guys details on that if you can't see it. Um, I know a friend of ours who has an observatory out in California, I believe, is planning on doing a stream too. Uh, he's going to have a little bit more room because he's more in the, the band right here where he'll actually be able to get mo pretty much all of totality and it will set when it's coming into the, the P4 stage or the penumbra stage. So he'll get the whole um, totality range. And here in Arizona, where I'm at, we'll be able to get to U4 or the umbra stage there as it's getting out to the outer shadow. So if you're in the, the western half of the U.S. and pretty much all of Mexico, um, you're you're good to go. Uh, here in North America and then of course if you're in California and on the western coast of California and out into Hawaii you get a bunch of stuff but uh, here is the map if you need to review that just go to eclipse.gsfc.nasa.gov uh, or just google eclipse nasa and it'll bring you to the nasa page and it'll have all the the dates of this eclipse and the coming eclipses um, 
for many years in advance. And then it's also going to give you the eclipse times. So you can kind of match that up with your particular location using the universal time. So adjust accordingly. But yep. So this is the place I go to check out all the eclipse information. So hopefully that works out for you. And best of luck uh, observing that. And again, we're going to have a whole episode later this month about observing lunar eclipses and how to photograph and observe, watch them. So uh, keep an eye out for that. So that is May 26th, uh, of course, during the full moon. Now, moving on. Planets. Now, last month we really didn't have much, and we still don't have a whole heck of a lot visible, but we have gained two planets in the evening sky, and they're beginning they're becoming more visible as the as the month goes on. Now, the first one, of course, is Mercury, and I don't have a great picture of Mercury in the evening sky, so I used my Mercury Transit picture from 2019 because that's the best shot of Mercury I've got. Um so Mercury is visible in the western sky right now. It's very low. It's very small. Um, it's not far from the sun. It never is. But you can actually catch it. And its greatest elongation is going to be May 17th. That's where it's at its highest position. And probably the best time to actually view it in the evening. Because Mercury doesn't sit above the horizon very long. Um, only for a few weeks. So. If you want to catch Mercury, if you've never observed Mercury before and you're just looking to complete like your planet count, or you just want to see Mercury because it's neat, uh, try to observe it somewhere around May 17th. That's going to be your best bet because that'll be when it's at its highest point in the West. Um, it can be small to see. You generally want to wait till the sun is down. Um, you can see it naked eye. Uh, it looks like a tiny star, but it's fairly low, generally on the horizon. You can catch it during the day. Um, if you have a mount that's accurately aligned and good to go, um, you can actually observe Mercury high in the sky uh, during the day. It is a little bit of a challenge, but if your mount is well aligned, like maybe you were out last night imaging, or you've got an observatory set up or something that's been set up for a while and you know it's aligned, try observing Mercury during the day. It's doable. You know, even like a four-inch refractor can do it. It doesn't take a lot of aperture to capture and see a view of Mercury. But that's the best time to do it normally is when it's nice and high in the sky. But it usually is not far from the sun. So, you know, just be aware of that. Um, it's far enough this month to where it's not scary to observe but just be careful because you are in the vicinity of the sun so always always be careful with that um and just to show real quick uh we'll just go back to this evening seven and bring it back into sunset and you can see right there's mercury on stellarium um so Around, what is this, about 7.15 this evening, you should be able to go outside and it's currently going to be at an altitude of 17 degrees, so it's going to be pretty low, but um, over the next couple days, it's actually going to get up into the sky. Um, you will have a cool, it's not a close, close conjunction, but you'll have the really thin crescent moon and Mercury not too far from each other on May 13th. So that would be kind of a cool thing to to catch photographically. 
Uh, if you have a f wide enough field of view, you could probably catch the two together. I don't know what their distance is. Um, I guess I have a phone here. We could actually look that up and see if we can get um, an actual measurement. But um, May 13th is going to be kind of a cool time uh, to catch those. Let me pop this up real quick. May 13th. And we're going to do the evening. There might be a way to do this in Stellarium, but I don't know how to do it. But I do know how to do it on Sky Safari. So um, got the moon there. Bear with me real quick. Um, about three degrees. So um, even a short refractor, like an 80 millimeter with a big chip on the back of it, you could get those too. So this would be kind of a cool photo op um, for anybody who's looking to catch Mercury. Um, the 13th would be a nice time because you can use the moon as reference and it's going to be pretty close to it. Um, Mercury right now, um, if you're not aware, Mercury does have phases like the moon, any planet within the orbit of Earth. So that would just leave um, the Venus and Mercury. Um, but Mercury is going to be at a, like a first quarter phase. Um, so it'll, it will have a little bit of a phase to it. Um, so it'd be kind of cool to see that there look like a half moon, uh, right now, but yeah, the 13th would be the best time if you're looking for an easy reference or try observing during the day, um, with a well-aligned telescope. Uh, so that is, uh, Mercury visible right now in the Eastern sky. Um, it, it's not going to last long. Um, let me actually bring this up real quick. Um, you know, it's going to come up and then it's going to head back down on as we get moving to June, it's going to head back down and out of the sky. So we're only talking about a month. Um, I mean, we're going to have a real close hit, not even a hit. Um, on May 28th, it's going to be low, but there's going to be a conjunction between Mercury and Venus. Um, very, very close. I mean, I don't even know how close that's going to be. That's really close, probably within a degree, it looks like. So this is on the 28th. Do, 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 do. There we go. It's going to be low. Uh, let's do the measurements here real quick. Yeah, I mean, it's it's within a degree of each other easily. Um, 24 arc minutes. Um, so less than half a degree of each other on the 28th of May is another conjunction between Mercury and Venus. So that would be a cool one to catch too. They are going to be very low on the horizon. We're only talking about 16 degrees altitude um, at that point. You could catch this during the day though. Um, if you know what you're doing, you could get a really nice shot of this when they're nice and high earlier in the day. Let me back this up real quick. Um, see how far they are from the sun. Um, if you had a well-aligned mount and you wanted to capture these two, um, you'd have a real nice photo op of these two in middle of the day, as long as you know where to catch them. Um, but a planetary camera, maybe an infrared pass filter to block the blue sky. Um, you've got a real good shot there on May 28th uh, during, during the day when they're nice and high. So uh, just a heads up. Now, speaking of its neighbor, Venus is going to be visible in the West. It's at a gibbous phase right now. So it's pretty much almost fully lit um, at this point. Um, but Venus is going to be a cool one to see too. It, it kind of hovers around where uh, Mercury is, but Venus is going to be visible in the sky for the next few months, actually, because that's just how Venus rolls. Um, 
let me get back to uh, this evening. Do, 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 do. There we go. Um, get rid of this. Now, it's Mercury is pretty. Venus is still pretty low. Venus is actually lower than Mercury is right now. Um, so it's going to take a couple days for it to rise high enough in the sky to where it's going to be interesting to see and it's out of the muck of the atmosphere. Um, but it is going to be rising. It's becoming the evening star. So just heads up. You're going to get, if you've got friends and family who want to know what that bright thing is in the sky, um, just a heads up that that time is coming in the evening. So it's going to remain low for a while. Um, but it should start getting higher and higher um, over the next few months or the weeks. Um, but it is going to be hanging down there. Um, let me pop this up here. It's going to be hanging down there for a while. Uh, we do have a conjunction between a razor thin crescent moon. Um, this is on the 12th. So there's a conjunction, very close conjunction, you know, probably within two degrees of each other, maybe less, um, of a crazy, crazy crazy thin moon and Venus on the 12th. So if you're looking for a really unique photo op in a high place, if you're on a mountain or something to catch this, um, very cool conjunction between those two. Um, there'll probably be many more conjunctions moving forward, especially as Venus gets higher um, and brighter. It's going to be, like I said, become the evening star. By the end of the month, it will be nice and bright in the evening sky. So, and then it's going to continue to go up and up into well into june um as it moves its way up into gemini so uh but yeah may 12th there's a really cool conjunction very thin very low but a cool conjunction between the moon and venus um coming up too and lastly for the planets we have mars mars is still hanging out uh, it's just below 45 degrees um it's small right now you could probably get a nice little view of it but it it's far from ideal but it is up there there's not much detail that you can catch, um, and it's pretty much done and out of the sky in the west uh, by 10 p.m. So Mars is, it's there. You can point it out to friends and family, but there's not much to see on it. So just a heads up. Now the sun. The sun has been kicking up lately as we make our track into uh, maximum. There's been some really cool uh, details um, visible on there. Um, I don't change this section much because the sun is so variable, but rather I go to this website. Um, this is the Gong H Alpha uh, website. Just type in uh, Gong, G-O-N-G, H Alpha into Google and it will pop this up. Uh, this is several observatories from around the world observing the sun and hydrogen alpha and they update regularly like every few minutes. Um, but you can see today there's some nice prominences a little all over the place. There's a nice active region right here. Another one down here. There's like a filiprom. So filament moving into a prom um, on here. But I usually use this website to see if it's worth dragging out the equipment or opening stuff up to take a look at it. But there's some nice prominences out today. But it has been getting more active because there's been some more active regions on the sun and some nice prominences. Um, definitely worth keeping an eye on. Um, while things get more active, but uh, definitely something to think about. Um, one thing while I'm talking about the sun right now, we do have two eclipses visible in the next couple of years, 2023 and 2024. Uh, 2024 in April is the total solar eclipse, and 2023 
is an annular. It goes through Four Corners um, region of the U.S. And but it will be a pretty deep um, partial eclipse for pretty much the entire North American continent. So if you're interested in observing those, now would probably be the time to really think about picking up your solar equipment, whether that's a solar filter um, or a dedicated telescope. I know equipment right now can be a little uh, sparse, um, but we're going to get to a point probably within the next year and a half. Right there, you saw update. Um, probably within the next year, year and a half, where the whole eclipse craze is going to start again. And now we're talking about back-to-back -back eclipses. Um, so it's going to be like a season of eclipses. So if you've been on the fence about whether you should get some solar telescopes, um, now would be the time while there's a lull, um, especially because of equipment it's going to take longer to get right now. But do think about it if you're interested in actually really observing these because in 2017 things got ridiculous really quickly so don't wait till the last minute um for that but we'll we'll talk about that you know coming up so but that's the sun you want to see what's going on in h alpha uh gong h alpha just type that into google and it'll keep you up to date with what's going on behind the sun so kind of some cool stuff there Meteor showers. Uh, we're actually in the middle of one right now. Uh, this is the uh, Ada Aquarius. Uh, this actually is a big one. It goes from the 19th to the 20th, April 19th to the 28th. So we've been in it for a little while. It actually peaks this weekend. So if you're going out um, this weekend, don't be surprised if you catch some. Uh, this is really better seen in the southern hemisphere, but we get about 10 to 30 um, uh, meters an hour here in the northern hemisphere and the moon phase works out really well too because the skies are dark um but that's kind of a cool one if you're going out to a dark sky site in the next week or two um don't be surprised if you catch a bunch of uh, meteors uh, coming by uh, but that is the only meteor shower for the month right now uh comets uh we do have a very nice comet up right now um i use this website called comet chasing dot uh, skyhound.com it keeps you up to date with pretty much all the active comets there's a lot of them it lists a lot of them that are vis visible um but some of them are fairly small likely need a telescope but there's usually a handful of them that are visible right now c2020 r4 atlas is the big one um it's hanging out uh let's actually just bring up the finder chart real quick this is what's cool about this website is they have a very nicely charted um, chart uh, on that you can actually use. There we go. Finally updated. Um, so right now it is May 7th and it's going to be cruising right around Coma Berenices. There's a lot of galaxies in this region. So keep an eye out for photo ops. Um, it's going to be moving into Leo by the end of the month, but it's going to go by a ton of different stuff um over the next few days and if you're going to a dark sky site to image it might be a cool uh chance to catch a nice uh view of that um so this is c2020 r4 atlas is the comet that's uh best visible right now um i don't let's see what's its magnet okay it's 10.5 magnitude so it's not naked eye visible um generally from a dark sky site best naked eye visible uh, magnitude would be seven um so it's just beyond that so probably a pair of binoculars and it's 
I don't think it's that big either. So more of a telescope object, um, but it is a fantastic imaging target. So um, this is our friend Scott from Star Arizona shot the um, the other day. Um, this is you have the Whale Galaxy, the Hockey Stick Galaxy, and there's R4 Atlas right there. So um, something cool to check out um, if you're looking to image uh, a neat target right now. Uh, that would be it. Um, let me, let's see, does it have the magnitude on, oh, uh, it's 10.5 magnitude right now, uh, Joseph in the comments. Um, so it is not naked eye visible, naked eye visible in a dark sky site would be seven. So this being 10.5, it's several magnitudes fainter than what the human eye can see. So not naked eye, but a good telescopic, uh, comment to pick up. So, um, Definitely get out there, bust out those one-shot color cameras. That's the best way to shoot a comet and see what you can get out of it, especially because it is going through that Coma Berenices region. There's tons of galaxies in there, so you might just luck out like Scott did here, um, where he caught the three of, he got the two galaxies, the uh, Whale Galaxy and the Hockey Stick Galaxy uh, with the comet as it was passing by. So uh, definitely something to check out. I know I will be trying for that this weekend. Now, uh, deep sky targets. Now, if I look a little tired or you see me yawning is because I was up late last night um, taking these pictures. Well, not all these pictures, but I was up late last night imaging pictures. Um, so I would actually have something for you guys to show. Oh, you guys want to see that comment website real quick? Um, let me pull that up real quick. It's pretty easy. Um, here's the website again cometchasing.skyhound.com. Um, yeah, I'll just go ahead and put this in the chat. That sounds like a good idea. Here you guys go. There it is in the chat. Um, so go ahead and check that out whenever you like. But this is the um, website that I use to figure out if there's any comets uh, that are worth you know taking a view at. And there's generally one up there, but every now and again, one gets bright enough to where it becomes more interesting, like C2020R4 is. So that is the website. If you need anything else, that it, it, the link is in the chat. Now, deep sky. It's galaxy season, and there is a ton of cool little things to look at. Um, I have a uh, collection of different types of objects right now. I tried to make it a little bit more interesting. Um, I've also been working... Um, with a new camera, the ZWO6200 one-shot color that we have here, um, and using it for live stacking imaging, where it just takes a bunch of short exposures and it stacks them automatically uh, for outreach and stuff like that. And uh, so all the pictures you're gonna see here, for the most part, we're done with just really quick exposures and a bunch of them just stacked real quick and dirty stuff, So, but it, it gets the point across. Uh, real quickly. So the Sombrero Galaxy is a great galaxy. Um, if you got a telescope for the holidays, like a 6 or 8 inch or 10 inch daub or something like that, and this is your first um, spring galaxy season, um, the Sombrero Galaxy or M104 is a very easy one to see. It's in the southern part of the sky. Um, it's technically in, um, let me get back to tonight. It's technically in Virgo, but it's not far from the constellation of uh, Corvus the Crow. So it's going to sit out here in the south, um, right over here. Corvus is like this 
odd box um, looking thing. Um, but it actually is going to sit right up here. So there it is right there. Pull back there. So it's pretty easy to find if you find the box of Corvus and the two, uh, these two stars right here. It kind of points you in that direction. Um, what is neat about this is there's two objects in the field, and I should have actually spent more time talking about this. Um, a fun way to figure out where this is is when you get into the field, you're going to find M104, but it has a little collection of stars that actually point to it. So you'll find these four stars. There's one here and then three in a row, and it basically points right to it. Uh, but another one... I should have done a slide on this, is there's this triangular structure um, of six stars. There's actually six. This isn't coming up, but it's a, it's a triangle, and an inverted triangle of stars. This is called the Stargate Star Cluster. It's an asterism. It's not an official cluster. Um, but I'll, some of the go-to systems out there do have that in there. Um, if not, you can look up the information online and just plug the coordinates in. But there's the Stargate Star Cluster, which is a cool triangle within a triangle of stars. Um, that triangle, you can find the three stars. It points you to the little pointer, and then the pointer points it right to the galaxy. But this is big enough to fit in most eyepieces. So if you can see this in the field of view, the galaxy is in the field of view too. But that's a cool one to see. Um, uh, right now, it's not too hard, uh, 28 million light years, and it does look like a little sombrero hat. Um, it is a little small, so adding some magnification might not be a bad way to go, but it's a fun one. There's the little pointer star set right there, points right to it. Um, easy to see in a 6-inch telescope, even from moderately light-polluted skies. Um, it's a fun imaging target because you can get it from light-polluted skies. This is just a stack of like 30-second exposures. I think there's only like 10 30 second exposures stacked here um but you can see it in a 30 second exposure it doesn't take much effort <clears throat> at all to to see it uh with a camera but it, it can make for an awesome uh, imaging target that you can do from home it's even more impressive from dark skies and obviously if you're doing viewing visually the bigger the telescope, the more resolution you can get on all of that. But that is M104, the Sombrero Galaxy, in the constellation of Virgo. Uh, go ahead and give that a try. It's going to be one of the easiest ones to actually see this time of year. Um, so that's a fun one to go do. Now, last month I talked about this one. I think it's a really cool galaxy, and it doesn't get talked about a lot because of the region that it's in. There's a lot of other galaxies that people go to, but this is NGC 4762, the Kite Galaxy, or the Paper Kite Galaxy. It's in Virgo as well, up there in that Virgo cluster, about 60 million light years away. Um, you're going to want to, you could probably do it in a 6-inch telescope. It's going to be faint. Um, I would go bigger if you can, you know, 10, 12 inch. 12 inch is kind of a sweet spot. Um, a lot of galaxies tend to pop when you have a 12 inch aperture telescope or bigger. It's just you finally have enough light going through there where things get interesting in a dark sky site. Um, so that's kind of why I like 12 inch telescopes where it's it's not so big, but it's big enough to where pretty much most galaxies on your star chart are within reach at that point. So 12 inches is a nice size to go with. Um, but this one's got interesting uh, tidal structures because um, of the way the, the gravity is working um, on this. Uh, there's 
star streams that are coming off of this. Uh, so a cool one, some cool detail to see. It's visible in uh, astrophotos and long exposures. This was taken um, from a remote telescope, so um, not the quick and dirty uh, stuff I've been doing uh, lately, but that's a cool one to image. Um, very delicate edge on galaxy um, in there. So try not to overexpose the center there because there's a lot of cool detail in there. But that's a challenging imaging target because of how thin it is and try not to overexpose it. But um, definitely a cool one to check out that doesn't come up too much. You know, a lot of times you get M87 and M81 and M82. Um, you get M51, M101. You know, there's a bunch of really, you know, top shelf galaxies where they're easy to see and they're bright and fun. Um, those are all great. Um, but this is a cool one. If you're looking for something off the beaten path, um, let me pull this up real quick. Um, NGC just to show you guys where it is. NGC 4762, um, go back up there. So it's right at the edge of Virgo and Coma Berenices, where they kind of meet over there. It should be easy to see because you can get the bright star right off of Virgo there, and it's just above that. So um, that is the Paper Kite Galaxy NGC 4762, um, a cool one to go and check out. Here's a little closer shot of it. You can see those tidal streams coming off of the edges of the galaxy there and that really thin uh, edge on center core. Um, so a very cool galaxy to try and catch. So highly recommend it. Now, um, unfortunately, during the springtime, there's not a lot of those colorful nebulas floating out there, but there are a handful. Um, some of them are, you know, one of the easiest ones is M97, the Owl Nebula up in Ursa Major, the Big Dipper. Um, but one that's a, off the beaten path is Abel 36. It's in Virgo. It's kind of got these cool tendrils that come off of it. It's a little smaller, but it's bigger than some of the other planetaries. It's only about 780 light years away, so it's pretty close. But uh, a good 10-inch telescope with like an Oxygen 3 or a UHC filter from a dark sky site. Um, this would be a fun one to track down if you like nebulas. Uh, there's just not a lot of pickings right now for nebulas in this um, this time of year uh, that's normally reserved for the uh, summer and the winter time but um, Abel 36 I'm not sure why this is not coming up that's incorrect okay there's something wrong with this one yeah it's saying this is a galaxy and it's not it's a planetary nebula so uh, Stellarium you're wrong so um, Abel 36, for whatever reason, is not coming up correctly because it's saying a cluster of galaxies, which Abel has a galaxy cluster, um, but Abel 36 is actually a planetary nebula. Um, that is it right there. So don't look it up in Stellarium. They have it incorrect. Moving. Okay, so I thought I would put this one in here because it's a change-up, and I've been using a one-shot color camera. Um, this is La Superba, um, which is actually why Canum Venacetiorum, I butchered that. Um, it's in Canis Venactices. It's a carbon star. Um, carbon stars are really neat because they're stars that are late in their life. Um, they've burned through a lot of their fuel already, and now they're converting into carbon, um, which turns them red. 
And some of them have a very deep, deep red uh, color to them. Uh, this particular one is more of that rusty uh, color. But another one, which we'll talk about probably when we get into June, July, called T. Lira, um, is like, stop sign red like deep red so some of these carbon stars are really neat um but this one is an easy one to see it's naked eye visible up in canis monactices um it's only about 760 light years from earth um really any size optic from binoculars to telescopes can see it um and it is a variable star so it can change and brightness a bit too so kind of a neat one to go check out uh, an easy one to see and it's a good start if you're interested in maybe starting to observe carbon stars, which I highly recommend. I'm not big on double stars and most stars, but carbons are neat because um, you can really get that striking color difference um, between the background stars and the reddish stars um, that are there. So uh, this is a cool one to go check out. It's visible right now. Like I said, if you, if you just have your first telescope and this is like your first year of owning that telescope, very easy target to find, um, and you will definitely get that color difference. Um, let me see if I can pull this one up real quick, as long as our freeware. Uh, there we go. And we want to be looking up, not at the ground. We're astronomers, not geologists. Sorry. Uh, okay. There we go. Yeah, it's almost overhead right now, um, but there it is right there, La Superba. Um, not far from the Big Dipper, you could actually take Mizar and go straight down um, to Chara, and it's about three quarters of the way to uh, Chara there and Canis Venactices, but um, easy one to see. It is a carbon star. If you're looking to start observing carbon stars, this is a good one to catch right now because it's so easy to get where some of those other carbon stars can be a little bit challenging. Um, but it is cool um, because you get that red color on it. So highly recommend it. Good in any telescope um, at that point. Now, um, I jumped too far. No, there we go. Uh, M3, globular clusters. Uh, globular clusters are dense balls of stars. There's normally you know a couple hundred thousand to a million stars in these clusters. These types of clusters are generally visible in the summertime because they're usually found along the plane of the Milky Way. Um, so, and more near the core of the Milky Way, most globular clusters actually form a halo around the Milky Way core. Um, so in the wintertime, when we're looking away from the core, we don't get a lot of globular clusters. We generally get open clusters. They're usually older um, as they've separated out a little bit. Um, but open clusters are generally a wintertime object where globulars are more of a summertime. And M3 is one of the few early risers um, for the springtime. It's a very easy one to see. You can see it in like a six inch telescope, even a four inch. Um, but it's a very tight little ball of stars. Uh, it's a fun one to image too, because there's a lot of blue, some orange stars in here. There's some good color in there. Um, and it doesn't take a lot to do. Uh, these were one-minute pictures, and I think there's only like five of them stacked to make this image. Very just, you know, I think there's a couple dark frames and a small stack of short exposures 
Um, but it's globular clusters are a fun one to image um, and try observing, see how far you can resolve down into the core there. Um, any size telescope will work. Dark skies are very nice on these because you can see some of the fainter extension of the stars as they move away from the core. So that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, M3 is a fun one to see. 33,920 light years away from the Earth. Um, so it's it's out there. And uh, globular clusters are a fun one to show your friends and family or outreach events because they're just easy to see. And, you know, it's just something that people don't generally think about. But it's a pretty easy one to find. Um, it's not far from Arcturus. Uh, you can find the Big Dipper handle. You can arc over arc to Arcturus. So you find the arc in the Big Dipper, arc over to Arcturus. And, you know, it's about three quarters of the way and just drop down a bit towards Coma Berenices. But you can generally see this cluster in like a 50 millimeter finder, um, even from like a backyard. If you're careful, um, you'll see that the stars look very stellar um, around it, little pinpoints where this is going to look more diffuse um, in the star field when you're looking for it. So it don't go too quick if you've never found it before, but um, M3 is a cool one to check out, and it's a good start um, to globular clusters. Um, and as we get closer to the summertime and get bigger ones um, up as well, uh, if you are in a location where you can catch Omega Centauri, um, it really depends on how clear your southern horizon is. Um, Omega Centauri is the largest globular cluster um, in the galaxy with a couple million stars. Here in Arizona, um, we're about 33 degrees latitude. Um, it only rises about 8 to 10 degrees above the horizon. Um, but if you're in like um, Florida or Hawaii or, um, you know, if your latitude is like below 35 degrees um, or in you're in the southern hemisphere, this is very easy to see. But um, for most who are in the northern part of uh, the U.S. and Canada, it's just you're you're too far north to catch it. It just doesn't rise high enough to catch it. Like I said, even here in Arizona, it's we only have a short uh, shot at it, and it's not in a great portion of the sky because of how low it sits. But um, only if you're in certain parts of the country can you get uh, Omega Centauri. But if you like globular clusters, there's a bunch of them coming up. We'll talk about them for the next several months. But M3 um, is a good one to check out. Easy to see in pretty much any type of optic. One of the coolest galaxies that are up right now. Um, and if you're tired of looking at the Messiers and you want something different, uh, NGC 4565, the Needle Galaxy, is in Canis Binactices. Um, that distance is wrong, so that's a typo. Sorry about that. You can see this in an 8-inch telescope. Um, it's a cool one for imaging because it doesn't take much effort to get it. Um, but visually, in a dark sky site, it's, it's a cool one to see. It's a lot bigger than people think it is. It's a good-sized galaxy. Um, so it's about 39 million light years away from the Earth. But what's cool about this galaxy is it has 240 globular clusters in it, which is a ton of clusters. Um, obviously, we can't see them, but it's a it's a cool fact. Um, you know, if you have a big multi-billion dollar space telescope like Hubble, um, then you can see them. But with our little 8-inch telescopes or even ground-based telescopes, you're not going to see much of it. Um, but this is an awesome galaxy. 
to see. Um, it's really a fan favorite if you're looking to dive off the uh, Messier catalog and into something a little bit more elaborate. Uh, this is a, one of the best NGC galaxies you can see this time of year. It is big, so be prepared. It, it looks like a UFO coming into the field of view of your telescope. It's really kind of neat uh, to see it. Um, an 8-inch telescope, probably a 6-inch telescope from dark skies. Um, but uh, it's not a bad one to see. Um, if you have a buddy who's got a big telescope, like 16, 20, 24, 28, big, this thing is awesome. There's all kinds of detail inside of that uh, dust lane, um, all kinds of knots and stuff. So if you ever have a chance to actually look through it through serious aperture, uh, do it. Um, it's definitely worth it. But it looks cool in a bunch of different telescopes, and it's a great uh, dark sky object and imaging. It's actually an easy one to do from the backyard. There is a bunch of other galaxies in the field of view. Um, again, this one's kind of grainy and noisy because it was just, you know, a couple one-minute pictures stacked. But um, this is a cool one to go after um, if you're looking for a bigger galaxy, maybe something a little bit different. Um, Highly recommend uh, hitting this one uh, sometime this spring season. It's definitely worth viewing or imaging or just taking a look at it. So do it. Now, if you're looking for something that's a little bit off the deep end, a little bit more challenging, um, this is Hickson 61 or the box. Um, Constellations Coma Berenices. Now, this is actually composed of four NGC um galaxies ngc 4169 4174 4173 and 4175 um they range obviously right there between 13.3 and 13 point i'm sorry 13.3 to 14.5 magnitude um this is probably a 12 inch telescope object maybe it you could probably do it with a 10 um probably the fainter two are probably going to be pushing the limits um at a 10 inch telescope but a 12 inch or bigger definitely go after it if you have a chance to get like a 16 or a 20 inch on it do it um it's a fun challenging imaging target because you're just getting a collection of different galaxies in there um here's a breakdown real quick of those um i think this is only like four one minute pictures so it, it doesn't take much to get them to show up this is at a thousand millimeter focal length uh you have 4173, 75, 69, and uh, 74, but that is the box or Hickson 61. Um, it's a fun challenge object, and it's cool to see all four of those galaxies there in a box, so kind of a neat one. Now, last target um, for this month. This is the challenge target. Um, if you are looking to go off the deep end, like beyond anything that we've ever done here as far as distance from Earth, you want to impress your friends. Uh, this is 3C273. This is the easiest quasar um, to see. It's in the constellation of Virgo, about 2.5 billion light years away from the Earth. Uh, it is doable in a 10-inch. I've done it in my old 10-inch daub. Um, it's not that faint. It's like 12 and a half magnitude. So it's actually, you could probably do it in an 8-inch um, if you knew what you were looking for. Um, it looks like a star. Um, but it's an active galaxy. It has a lot to do with black holes. Um, if you want to do something about quasars, or go look up quasars if you're not sure what they are. But they are a very challenging set of objects. 
Um, I like to call them concept objects because it's more about the distance um, and what they are. They're not visually spectacular. There's not details to really see um, on these. They just look like a stellar point. Um, but it's a cool one to actually see as far as distance. And real quick, I just want to show you how to star hop to this because it's actually pretty easy. Uh, the first thing you're going to want to find when you're in the field of view, uh, you're going to find a little arcing of stars, these four stars right there. That's the arc. Um, now you're going to follow that arcing of stars downward to this little box. Um, there's four stars that this, this little arc points down to. And these are the four stars I'm talking about right there. Um, they make this little diamond. And when you find this diamond, um, the brightest star is going to be uh, on the lower point here. And the br the brighter star actually matches up with the brighter star of this little triangle. That's what we're looking for. But find the arc, find the diamond, and then take the two center stars of the diamond, and it points right to uh, the quasar. I should have wrote this out a little bit differently. But um, here is the triangle we're looking for next to the diamond. So find the arc, then the diamond, and the little triangle, and then these two right here. Uh, points you right to 3C273, the easiest quasar to see in the nighttime sky. So there you go as your challenge target for the month. So if you enjoyed all that, um, go ahead and subscribe. We're happy to have you here. Uh, if you have any questions, we'll go through that right now. Uh, if you have anything you want us to cover or I don't get a chance to talk to you about, go ahead and email us at support at skywatcherusa.com and title it What's Up. Um, and we'll go over that. Uh, next week, we're going over the Star Adventurer 2i. Um, this is the evolution of the Star Adventure. We're going to take a, a look at that one. I know people have questions about it all the time. There's some tips and tricks I want to talk about on that one, too, to get it to work. Uh, it works just as the original one does. But there's some tricks with the app that we're going to talk about um, that should be helpful for people. So uh, that's next week. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Now, if you have any questions, go ahead and throw them out there. I'll be happy to answer them. I know there's a couple comments. Um, first one's from Chris. I'd like to hear a segment on Starlink and what it means for the future of amateur astronomy. That one would be interesting. Um, I'll have to look into that a little bit more. Um, but that, that's interesting, though, because I've, I've had seen pictures of those uh, interrupting. I haven't had a chance to see them personally, but I want to try to catch them. Um, next one comes from Joseph, Kevin and viewers, do you own, or is there anyone in your circle of astronomy contacts who owns one of the EV scopes or Unistellar? Um, I don't know anybody who has one, actually. I've seen reviews of them on YouTube, as I'm sure you have. Um, I want to try one. Um, they look really interesting. Uh, they're definitely products that I've, I've seen people comment about these EV scopes and the Unistellars. Um, that, oh yeah, they're not going to be here for long and, you know, it's a gimmick and blah, blah, blah. Well, these particular telescopes, from my opinion, are not targeted at the advanced amateur. Um, most of us have our own equipment. Um, they're really targeted at getting new people interested into the world of astronomy and it makes astrophotography a little easier to start with. Um, but they look interesting. I would like to 
uh, try one. They are small, but they're not really designed to be big and cumbersome. They're designed to be easy. Take them out and start looking at or photographing uh, cool things in the nighttime sky. So um, it's an interesting tool, but if you're an experienced amateur astronomer, I don't know that it's going to be your go-to uh, product, but it's a good springboard for people. But they are a little expensive, um, but that's like any new technology. It's like Tesla. When Tesla came out with their you know S series, um, they were cheaper, but they're still you know ninety, eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollar cars. Um, but now they have the Model Three out. It's cheaper. It's getting cheaper. So I wouldn't be surprised if that technology got cheaper and more affordable as things move forward. But uh, that's kind of my opinion on the. They look interesting. I think they'd be fun to use. But if you're an advanced amateur and you've already got nice equipment it's probably not geared for you necessarily but we'll see where it goes good luck to them we need anything that gets people into astronomy is really what it's all about so awesome i don't see any more questions there so if that's it um i really hope you guys enjoyed this episode good luck hopefully you can try some of these objects if you're going out this weekend you know definitely try to challenge uh, yourself go off the deep end a little bit and see what you can find in your telescope whether you're doing that visually or imaging um, there's tons of stuff to explore out there so um, hopefully you've got some clear skies this weekend even if you're at home you can still capture some of these really faint uh, unique little targets so go for it um, but if that's it i don't see any questions uh have a great weekend clear skies and stay safe and we will catch you guys next week um oh real quick uh we again i uh, should have put a slide in here we are going to have brother guy he's the head of the vatican observatory um he's going to be on at the end of june but we have to pre-record that episode it will not be live because time difference he'll be in italy um i will be out of town that week actually as well so um but if you have any questions um email those in um, as soon as you can because um, we're going to be talking to him soon so thanks a lot everyone see you later take care bye